This is from Proverbs 1.5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. And from 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 13. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts also. Please be seated as I pray. Lord, through all things, through difficulties, through things that we can rejoice in, through persecution, Lord, through... Through your mercy, God, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your holiness. We praise you that we can call upon you in all things with confidence. God, I pray right now as Ryan comes up to preach your word that you would give him your words and your thoughts. Pray that your spirit would flow through him. I pray that you would give us understanding. And Lord, pray that through all things, your name would be exalted and your name would be glorified. And pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Well, Bill, I got to say that was kind of a passive aggressive way to try to get me to preach something other than Proverbs 10.5. He didn't know what's happened. Proverbs 10.5 was the text, Bill. You read Proverbs 1.5. It's all right. It's good. It's good. If, if it's okay with you, uh, I'm going to preach Proverbs 10.5 though. But Proverbs 1.5 is a good one. Uh, as well. <clears throat> Man, I can't tell y'all how much I've missed y'all this summer. It's so good uh, to be back with you. Uh, it's, um, I was joking with someone, even this morning, like, I, I don't even know. It's, it's been a long time since I've gone three months without preaching. And, uh, and he was joking. He said, you know, it's kind of like riding a bike. And I was like, but you haven't seen me ride a bike. <laughs> you know, like, um, I cannot express fully enough um, how uh, amazing our summer as a family was uh, to you. Um, sure, we got to go to some cool places, but what God did in my family this summer uh, was incredible because we um, were able to grow together in a way that we never have before because uh, Dad was present. <clears throat> Dad was fully present. 
Uh, and um, because of your generosity and the vision of this church, my kids will never be able to say, the church stole dad from me when they get older. And that's going to do something to their faith. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I can't get emotional yet. Um, how's Proverbs been this summer? It's been good? Some of you think, some of you think Proverbs has been good. Some of you are like, man, it's, it, it's kind of just too direct. There's not enough theology. It's just all practical. And that, that's hard for us sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to read the book of James. It's hard to read the book of Proverbs when you love good theology because it seems kind of legalistic sometimes, doesn't it? Church, we need this. We need the practical, straight-up wisdom of the Proverbs. We need to know what salvation actually being worked out in real time in our hearts, in our lives, in our church looks like. We need that. And so as we kind of, as we think about this today, um, I'm going to be spending a little bit of time in Proverbs 10, but most of my time in 2 Corinthians 6, because it is the passage of Scripture that I think affected me most deeply uh, over, the, over the summer. Uh, before we get into that, I want, to, I want to remind you of a truth about your salvation. And it comes from Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and it is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to this church that he loves in Philippi. And he's telling them something about how salvation works in the life of a believer. And he says this, um, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more my absence. And here's the key. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if, if we stand alone on that passage, we're like, ah, oh, man, this doesn't sound like the gospel, right? But here's the reality of what he wants to show us. It's God who's working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And what we notice about Philippians 2 is that, is that there, the, the Bible has no category for this kind of um, this kind of idea that, you know, I was saved way back then in grandma's church and now I just live my life. It's got no category for that. What it does have a category is for a moment of conversion, some of us know when that was, uh, others of us don't. We just know that we love Jesus now and our lives are changed. But that we are constantly, while we were saved, we are being saved day by day. There is an effort that grace propels within us to work our salvation. Amen? And he calls us to do this in specific ways, in enduring ways. And that's kind of how I want to spend my time this morning is talking about that because God is finishing each and every believer in this room today. You're not where you were when you were converted, but you're not where you're going to be when the Lord finishes his work in you. And each and every day, week in, week out, day in, day out, morning in, evening, God is finishing the good work that he started in you, and he is not wasting a moment. We have to believe that. It's the only way that everyday ordinary life can have meaning shot through it. It's his work in our lives, but we participate with that work. Proverbs 10.5 says uh, this, He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son that brings shame. So this, this proverb here could be applied in a lot of different ways. It could be applied uh, agriculturally, right? It, it could be uh, applied economically. He, he, we, we could apply this in such a way that says, you know, you don't work, you don't eat kind of a thing, right? 
But there's another way to apply it as well, in a very spiritual way that re- relates, when we think about the harvest, to the season of salvation. And that's how I want to apply it this morning. Because here's what this proverb indicates. It indicates the reality that there are seasons for action and there are seasons for rest. That uh, a harvest to gather in the summer, a season for sleep when it's not harvest season. It indicates that there is a relationship that comes with the responsibility. There's a father and a son in this proverb, isn't there? A father's harvesting and a son who gathers the harvest for the father. And when his son does not gather when it's time, it brings shame on the father. It brings dishonor and humiliation to his father and disgraces his name. What we see is that the son is actually partnering with the father to bring in the harvest. This message is all the way through the New Testament. Let me show you. John 6, 37. All that the father gives me, Jesus says, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It's the Father's harvest. It is the Son's work. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. The harvest of souls is plentiful. The problem is not in the Father's harvest. But the laborers, there's so few, Jesus says. Therefore, pray earnestly. I don't know what that word means to you, but I think it means more than we think it does to most of us. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, the Father, to send out laborers into the harvest. Friends, the church has been in the ripe harvest season of the Father's blessing since Jesus rose from the dead. Now is the season of salvation. But the question remains for us, what does it look like to labor in this world for the salvation of both ourselves, remember we're working our salvation out, and for the sake of those who don't know Christ? What does that actually look like day in, day out? You know, not when we're on a short-term mission trip, uh, not when we have this planned evangelistic encounter, but what does it look like when you clock in for work tomorrow morning? What does it look like when you sit on the couch this evening? What does it look like for us? Paul shows us this. 2 Corinthians 5, this will give a little context for where we're going today. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip open there. We'll be there for the remainder of our time. Before we get into chapter 6, Paul writes this about this salvation that you and I have. He says this. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And he says, all of this is from God. Same thing that he said in Philippians 2, right? It's God who's working. He says, all this is from God. Don't be confused. It's not you. It's from God. Who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. In in other words, gave us a right relationship with our Father. That's the biggest problem in the world. That's the biggest problem in your life. If you don't know Christ, you are not reconciled to your Father in heaven. You cannot work out your salvation because you do not have it. You cannot work for the salvation of others because you don't have your own salvation. So this is the primary emphasis of this passage. But he goes on to say this, that God is so kind and benevolent to us that not only does he reconcile us to himself through the work of his son Jesus on our behalf, 
but he lets us participate in the work of reconciling the world to himself. He, he lets us become brothers and sisters of Jesus to gather the harvest into the barn. That's what he's saying here. And here's how he does that. He entrusts us with the message of reconciliation. We have a message that even though we have sinned and deserve to die against a holy God, that we've been made right and we don't deserve it. That's the message of reconciliation. And he, then he goes on to say this in verse 20 that sets us up perfectly. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We are representatives of Jesus in everyday, ordinary life. God is making his appeal through us. So here's what that means. Every moment of your life as a Christian, God is making his appeal through us. He is using the circumstances of your life, the endurance that you have to put forth as you work out your salvation to tell the story of who Christ is to the world. That's what's happening in every moment of your life, Christian. God making his appeal through your life. God telling the gospel in real time, in real life, through real relationships, not just in a story, but in real life. And he says this, we implore you on behalf of Christ. Remember the first thing? Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. An amazing truth, right? This declaration that it doesn't matter what you've done in your life if you have faith in Christ, it's as if you never sinned and as if you always obeyed. You are, it's like you've never done anything wrong in God's eyes. That's what it means to have the righteousness of God. So the question now is, now what? Now what? Let's see what Paul says in uh, uh, chapter 6. Oh, actually, i got to tell you the big idea first. Sorry, I'm kind of trying to ride the bike now. If we want to experience this resurrection, we have to be willing to share in the sufferings of Jesus. If we want the resurrection, if we want the life, we have to face the death. And what we're going to see today is that there's this pattern in the life of the believer. And you, you can act like this isn't the pattern of Christ working out your salvation, but it's the life and death of Jesus over and over and over and over and over again in your life. That's how he makes his appeal. So let's dig in. Got three points for us, like a good preacher. Um, the first one is this, it is possible to receive the grace of God in vain. It, it's possible to receive God's grace in a fraudulent way, in a way that doesn't convert really to, to saving faith. It's possible to live that way. And I would say this, I'm not... I'm not uh, trying to cause anyone to doubt your salvation or anything like that, but um, there's a whole lot in the Bible about how we participate with God in our sanctification. Um, and Paul starts out this, this whole, like, what's it look like to work out your salvation by, with a warning that it's possible to receive the grace of God. And I would argue this, that in the South, um, it's especially uh, a warning that we need to hear. So let's read it real quick. Verse 1, chapter 6. So after this great declaration of righteousness by faith from, from Jesus, first thing, working together with him. 
Sounds familiar, right? Sounds like Philippians chapter 2 and 3. He says, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. He's quoting Isaiah here. And in a day of salvation, I've helped you. And then he makes this declaration. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation, he says. So what's Paul doing here? He's proving the credibility of the message with his life. You know, it's one thing to talk a big talk. It's another thing to walk what you actually talk about, right? Paul, Paul, what Paul wants to show the Corinthian church is the integration, not in a boastful or arrogant way, but the integration of the faith that he proclaims in the life that he is living by God's grace. It's the same dream that, that I have for each and every one of you, that our elders do, that our leaders of this church do. God's grace in our lives is meant to change everything about us. I mean, if that statement's true, it's kind of terrifying, isn't it? Most people come to Jesus, a lot of people do, and they want to they wanna keep their lives and bolt Jesus on, like an accessory. But I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he said we were new creations. <clears throat> I, I don't think he had in mind uh, just throwing a little makeup on the Christian's life. A new creation means a new source of living, a new source of of life. He's come to make us new. To, to realize that you are made new and to live as new creations is to not receive the grace of God in vain. It's to receive the grace of God in such a way that it counts. It's someone who, though they have a past, is no longer defined by their past. It's someone who has and is being unshackled from the bondage of sin that they've been entangled in for their lives. It's someone who has a future that isn't hopeless. It's someone who has purpose, not just in looking forward to the witch hunt of idolatry that we find ourselves entangled in as American Christians, seeking pleasure in this and in that experience, but someone who has a vision of eternal purpose in everyday, ordinary, circumstantial life. They can see that salvation is all around us that God is hammering us out into the new creations he designed for us to be, and that he's making an appeal through our lives to the world that there's another way to live. Now is the time, Paul says. Now, there's two words for time in the Greek. There's the word kairos and the word chronos. Chronos is kind of like sequential time. It's like, it's that clock back there. It's going to tell me that I preach too long in a few minutes. Um, but the, this is the other word for time. Kairos. Kairos is, is a time, it's, it's the season of salvation is what Paul's saying. And church, we have been in that season, the, the clock has been stuck on that season since Jesus breathed his first breath when he came back from the dead. And he's been breathing that life through his church ever since then. But the temptation is to get so entangled with this world that we forget that it's the season of salvation, Right? So my question to you this morning is, have you received the grace of God as a spectator or a participant? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's one thing to receive, you know, to, to be a fan, right? To, to be a spectator, to enjoy the game, to come in uh, and, and, and punch your ticket and to, and to sing along. It's another thing to participate and be on the team. What 2 Corinthians 5 says is if you're a Christian that hasn't received the grace of God in vain, you're on the team. And everybody on the team has a role on the team, right? 
And so to not receive the grace of God in vain means that we are participants, that God wants to use all of our lives and all of our situations to to finish us on one hand and to make an appeal through us on the other hand. You know, this summer I felt the smile of God in my life in ways that I never have before. Um, One of the reasons that I think this happened is that God removed me from my vocational role in ministry so that I could learn how to be a child of God again. So there'd be no confusion in my heart about the source of God's grace, that his pleasure was because he loves me, not because I do ministry for him. And, you know, I think a lot of times we need to be reset that way. You know, that, that it wasn't contingent upon any performance and skill. And, you know, starting to set, I had 77 days away. Starting the 77 days with only the grace of God and my identity in Christ has changed me in ways that I, I don't think that I would be changed otherwise. And I've been able to feel grace in deeper ways because of this space. And one of the ways that it's manifested itself, I was telling the, the, the band in the, the green room, which I don't know why they call it a green room because it's not green, but um, sorry. One of the things I was saying to them was, um, I, I feel, I've been in all these strange encounters. I'm going to tell you about one at the end of the sermon. These kind of bizarre situations where I, I feel a presence with people. Like, I don't have agenda for you. It's not about getting my to-do list done. You know what I'm talking about? It's just being present, like enjoying God's presence and enjoying your presence. Um, And I found myself in all these situations, and I have to wonder, maybe those situations were there before I just didn't see them. To not receive the grace of God in vain is to not be confused about the source of your salvation. It's to know that it's a gift from God and that God is using everything to finish you, but he's going to use the things that he's finishing you, how he's finishing you, to make his appeal. So you might want to go do work for Jesus. Jesus wants to do work in you and tell tell the story of salvation through that work. That's what it means that he he wants to make an appeal. So that's how you, you, um, church, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to be a fraud. Nobody wants to bolt on Jesus. That's how it happens. So second thing we see is this, as we keep trucking through 2 Corinthians, is this, is that enduring grace is revealed through a cruciformed life, a a cross-formed, a cross forged life. I spent uh, a day with um, author and speaker Paul Miller uh, back in May with the cohort that I'm a part of, and he shared something with me that's been so helpful. He calls it the J-curve. Now, if you're a business person, you know that that's an economic theory. Well, Paul kind of stole it and said, hey, I think all of Jesus's life and all of our lives are really about this J-curve. And and, and what he talks about in it is that... um, that we are meant to ex- continually experience the life and death of Jesus through our lives, in smaller ways, obviously, but in ways that finish us and make his appeal through our lives. Think about Philippians 3 with me just for a minute. Philippians 3. Paul writes this, that I may know him, the goal of his life, to know him and the power of his resurrection. And may Share in his sufferings, because there's no other way to know the power of resurrection than to share with Jesus in suffering. Becoming like him in his death, being formed by the cross, being forged by the cross. 
that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wants resurrection. He knows he can find it in no other way than the way Jesus found it. Confronting death through the cross. Now, we experience it in a way um, that the salvation of the world doesn't depend on it, right? (laughs) Praise God. That was on Jesus' shoulders. But the cross is still how Jesus is going to finish you and I. Make no mistake. It's the only way to know him in the power of his resurrection is to become like him in his death. We were meant to know grace in our hearts. We were made to die and rise with Jesus in everyday life. So let's look at the two sides of this coin in 2 Corinthians 6. One of them is cruciformed endurance that we're going to look at, and the other one is cruciformed abiding. So there's this endurance that God works into us to endure life, the hardships of life. But there's also this this spirit-filled power to remain in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus. Paul Paul writes about it kind of simultaneously. He says this in verse uh, verse 3 here. He said, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Remember, he's, he's showing the credibility of his ministry. But he says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in other ways. We, we, we put ourselves forward in every way by great endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Do you know what any of those feel like, church? Have you felt any of these circumstances in your life this year? This week? This morning? I don't think this is an exhaustive list. But I think what Paul wants us to know, he's just writing about life, isn't he? This is life. That God uses it all to forge us into the image of Jesus so that by any means possible, we might attain the resurrection of the dead. So I want to just show you kind of a a diagram that Paul showed me, this J-curve. So if we think about this passage from 2 Corinthians 6 like this, I think this is helpful. We experience all of these things. We die. We, we, We experience the descent of hope, right? The disintegration of hope even. And we get down to the bottom of that J. And we want with everything inside of us to hit the eject button, don't we? We want so much for God to just let us go back to what was before. In church, I've done this more than I ever care to imagine. I mean, I told y'all the story about when Megan was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, about how I said, you know, I I don't want to read the Bible anymore. (laughs) And the gifts that God has given us through that diagnosis have transformed our family. The Spirit of God must work to keep us when we are at the bottom. Because the enemy wants to thwart God's plan by tempting you to believe something other than the fact that God is changing you and perfecting you into the image of Jesus. It's even in these little losses, not just the big ones. I mean, I, I haven't been imprisoned or beaten 
you know, haven't, haven't been physically hungry. Not that I could remember. God's always provided those things. But what about the little losses? What about the everyday ordinary losses of life? The setbacks? The ones that you think, God, why can't you just, why do I have to endure this? I, I was thinking about it even from a, a child's perspective. My boys, uh, for the first time, are, are, are putting on their true Georgia colors, and they are playing tackle football for the first time. They're six or seven and uh, nine. And uh, <laughs> it's, let's just say this, it's been an adjustment. <laughs> and uh, first two weeks of practice, you know, nothing but running. You know, Roman, Roman's doing bear crawls, and his, his face mask is just dragging on the ground. He can't even pick his head up. And they're like, Daddy, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and you know, one of, the, one of the personnel that was coaching one of the teams is, you know, he coaches a little differently than I would say that way. And, and uh, you know, I, I, everything inside of me wanted to change the circumstance, wanted to change the situation, to alter it, to have a conversation, to make it a little easier on my boys. And then, you know, I was just thinking about this kind of philosophy about what God has in mind for hammering our faith and completing it. And we have to learn how to endure. How else are our children going to learn how to endure unless we help them? And so I kind of took the approach of just sitting with them in it and praying for them and, uh, and being with them and listening. And, you know, they love it now. It's been great. There's still some things that are a little wonky, and Roman's face mask is still dragging the ground when he's doing bear crawls, but they love it. They love, and, and I think endurance does something in you. God... Spirit-empowered endurance does something in you that nothing else in life can do. So Paul doesn't just say, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and endure. What's he say? He goes on to, to talk about these, this, this kind of cruciformed mentality like within, within uh, the spirit of a person. Let's, let's read this. I called it cruciformed abiding. He says, you can endure all these things because here's what's happening. Uh, by purity, knowledge, Patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit. I think he's just like pulling on everything. He's like, oh God, all these gifts that God's given me, right? He's just pulling them out of his mind. Genuine love, truthful speech. Oh, and the power of God, he writes. With weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. He's thinking about all of the gifts of Jesus through the Spirit is what he's thinking about. He doesn't have, he's not like, oh, let me remember what that song about the fruit of the Spirit is. He's not going down that list. He's just saying, what has God given me in Jesus Christ? What has he given me? He's given me all of this and more. He's given me everything I need for salvation. And that's how Paul, that's how Ryan and you can stay at the bottom. Because everything to keep us in the midst of life circumstances is given to us through faith in Jesus Christ, church. That's how we stay at the bottom when death seems like it's at its doorstep and we, we agree with David and we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We can smell it. That's how you can stay. is because G we know that we haven't ever experienced anything that Jesus hasn't already walked through for us. And he's given us these gifts to help us endure when we're at the bottom. Because by any means possible, we want to attain resurrection. But we don't get resurrection without walking through the death first. And by God's grace, he's been merciful. He hasn't given us what we deserve. But death is what forges us. The cross is what forges us to even be able 
to taste resurrection. I used to think about resurrection as just, you know, the 1 Corinthians 15, new, new glorified body, right, when Jesus returns. I'm learning to see that the power of resurrection is intended for today. You may be in a season right now where you don't see that that's possible. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit might convince you today that it is. The last thing is this, church. Enduring grace resurrects tragedy and converts it to victory. In other words, this is what the resurrected life looks like on display. I want you to notice that the circumstances didn't change but the experience and the purpose of the circumstance did. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, um, we're treated as imposters, as liars, as frauds, yet we're true. We're treated as unknown, but we're well-known. We're treated as dying, but behold, we live, as punished, yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, is having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken to you freely, Corinthians. Our heart's wide open to you. We're not restricting our love toward you. We're not restricting the truth. We're not trying to soften the blow to you. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. Widen your hearts, he says. Why, what a beautiful phrase. What if that was the anthem of just kind of our call as a church? Widen your heart. Not widen your heart at the expense of the truth and dilute God's word. Widen your heart to receive life with hope. Think about this. Let's, let's go back to that J. Curve illustration. Okay, so the experiences didn't change. He describes them maybe a little bit differently. And I have to imagine that Paul's probably got some very specific encounters and names and faces in mind when he, when he writes this list down, right? He's got people in mind, people that, um, that have treated him very poorly, people that have lied to him, people that have accused him and made his life very difficult. Do you know any people like that? You do, right? Of course we do. Paul's saying because the cross is forming him and there's not anything that hits him that didn't go through Jesus, then now he has a different perspective of what's happened to his life. But he would have never gotten there if he didn't see God's hand in it. I mean, being treated as an imposter when you're speaking the truth, how painful. Paul was a word guy. Words were everything to him. As having nothing stripped down when he, when he knows, when he knows yeah, how to have stuff, but he possesses really everything in the grand scheme of eternity. As having this poverty of spirit, yet through his poverty, making the world rich, making me and you rich, right? This is the story of the church. This is what a life on mission as a new creation looks like, friends. And I beg you to not squirm away from the death that life presents to you because the Lord wants to transform your life through it. But we have to abide in Jesus at the bottom if we ever want to see the victorious nature. You see, this is why this is so different than kind of the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. 
Because the name it, claim it kind of prosperity gospel says, if those things happen to you, something's wrong with you. The true gospel of Jesus says, those things are going to happen to you and you're going to be victorious. It's a different story, isn't it? And God makes his appeal through us because who do we know? Is there a person on the face of the planet that we know that hasn't experienced something like that? No. The gospel is so relatable through your life because you are a person. And Jesus changes people through people. That's the way that he works. I'll close with this uh, story I told you about. The day after our sabbatical began, uh, I was taking the kids to school, down, going down Lawrenceville Highway, and, um, you know, it's four lanes. And we always go a little early because, well, we get donuts, and they're good. But kids get donuts, I mean. Um, and um, in this particular day, Tatum was riding up front with me, and, um, and we, were, uh, we were driving. We were almost to school. You know, it's like the last week of school. And there's this white sedan that passes us, probably going about 60 miles an hour. And I'm driving, and the sedan crosses the other two lanes of traffic, um, hits an embankment, and begins to flip over and over and over again. So I, we're looking out the window. The car is flying in the air, flipping. And uh, our, our hearts are just like, <gasps> and so uh, kind of in a moment of reaction, I just slammed on the brakes, put the hazard lights on, and I actually left the kids in the median. Thank God they're okay. Um, but I, I jumped out of the car on my flip-flops, and I'm, I'm running over, because what I'm thinking in my mind is someone just died right before my eyes. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, th there's the on that's the only plausible explanation of this situation right here, because it was so awful, and the car is upside down. And, um, and I'm running and I'm, 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 I'm screaming, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm, and I'm trying to get the passenger side uh, door open, the rear passenger door. None of them will come open because the car is crushed. The, the, the rear driver's side door open, I can't get it open. And then finally, the, the, the driver's side door, I'm able to pry open and the music is so loud. And what I see is a teenage girl, maybe five years older than my daughter, lying upside down. And I say, are you okay? And she goes, and I reached over, unbuckled her seatbelt and pulled her out of the car and she stood up. And I'm, this car is just completely demolished. I mean, it is it's like inches from the top of her head, how bad it smashed. And somebody, but there were about 20 witnesses behind me at this point, And somebody said, God saved your life. This is a miracle. And she's so stunned, she can't say anything. Um, and I, I walked away from that. We had to go to school after that and obviously get donuts. Um, and, um, and I walked away from that moment. Um, I, th I think that's one of the reasons that experience is one of the reasons that um, I experienced more of God's presence and presence with other people this summer. Walked away understanding that that is exactly what life on this earth is like, that we deserve to die, every, every single one of us. And yet God, by his mercy presents us as miracles to the world. And I don't know that girl's story or where she's at with the Lord, but I do know this, that God wants to use every moment of your life to make his appeal through you. He wants to make an appeal to you first in your heart and then through you. May that be us, New City. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your word this morning. Thank you. Um, thank you for letting Paul suffer so much.
Thank you that he wasn't just a rock star who never suffered, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. Thank you that there are things that he endured um, that we can't imagine enduring. Lord, thank you for the things in our lives that, that we would have written down if we were to pin that letter by the Holy Spirit. The situations and circumstances that each and every one of us face today that you want to use to make an appeal. Lord, thank you for those in this room that are here today that have never experienced and participated with you on mission, that they are spectators of grace. Thank you for bringing them home. Thank you for giving them the courage. And Father, I pray even more than this, that you will give them the courage to receive the grace of God in a way that is not in vain. Father, I pray that you would save souls this morning. And Father, I pray that you would save souls through this church as you make your appeal through our lives, that we might be able to say with complete confidence that anything that the Lord brings into my life is for my good and his glory and for the sake of the world. Lord, make your appeal through our lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.